was, uh, you know, just a month ago, less than a month ago, that I brought a message I felt was really from the Lord. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. In the course of that message, I felt inspired to point out something from 2 Thessalonians about the man of lawlessness. I felt like the Lord was telling us to be alert because the man of lawlessness was going to be fully released. I don't know how you really explain what happened at the Sandy Hook Elementary School on Friday morning other than that the man of lawlessness has been released. That an expression of evil so so deep and so horrific that 26 people were killed, 20 of whom were 6 and 7 years old. There's no way to explain that in any other terms than that evil, evil, pure evil was released. So I'd like for us to take some time this morning and just each silently pray, just each silently pray, whatever the prayer of your heart is, whatever is stirring in your heart, whomever you feel drawn to pray for, whom, whatever you feel led to pray about, just right where you are, silently, just lift your prayers up to God. we really can't begin to imagine what it's like for these parents, these family and friends and students in that elementary school. We can't begin to imagine what it's like for them, but our hearts are broken this morning. Fully broken for them. Lord, it's it's sometimes it, it, it's hard to trust you completely, Lord. It's hard to trust you. But we do. In the midst of everything or anything that ever happens, you have taught us that trusting you is always the right thing to do. You've blessed us with your, your word. You have given us instruction, Lord, about what will be happening in these last days. And you have our full attention now, Lord. You have our full attention. And we join with the rest of the church around the world today and say, wake, wake us up, Lord. Wake us up to whatever time it is. Wake us up. Cause us, Lord, to be alarmed and cause us to be alert. But keep us from being afraid because you are, you are in the midst of us, God. And that in all things, 
things we consider good and things we consider bad, you are somehow working out your perfect purposes of righteousness. And so, Lord, we pause now, knowing that whatever explanation is ever given for the motives of this man who went in and did those things, that it will never satisfy us, knowing that there will never be an answer given that can explain such horrific injustice. And so we turn to you this morning. We turn to you. And Lord, we ask your powerful protection on our kids. We ask your powerful protection on our people. We ask, oh God, that you would you would hear our prayer. We realize this can happen anywhere, and so we're just compelled to pray. God, would you protect our kids? Would you protect our teachers? Would you protect all those who live and work in these kinds of places where these kinds of things are inclined to occur? And would you keep your hedge of protection around this place and make it an ark of safety in all times, God? We turn to you. We ask you for this, Lord. We need to pray this. We need to get this off of our hearts to pray for the protection. And in the midst of whatever times we are in, Lord, would you cause us to be lights of righteousness and lights of your grace and lights of your power in the midst of such a time as this. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, for the past uh, two years, Karen and I have uh, left for India on the day after Christmas. And uh, as much as we love going to India and love the people of India and the ministry that we've been privileged to participate throughout South Central India, we, uh, we've said several times, we're sure glad we're not getting ready to go to India this year. It feels good to be home for Christmas and be fully home. But this year, Karen and I, we're enjoying a different kind of journey together. And it's a journey to the side of Jesus. And I I just got to say that I feel like as a husband and wife, as a couple, we're closer to Jesus than we've ever been. And what a blessing that is. So it's been my heart to want to share with you all the simplicity of the steps of journeying to Jesus because I think this is an experience that is meant for every seeking heart. That anybody wants to have more than a religious awareness of God but actually wants to experience His love and His power and His grace and His mercy and to know it, that anyone can. That the Bible is true. 
the Bible says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So we don't have to live this life out in some kind of a distant recognition of, oh, there's a God and there's a someday and there's all of this, but that we can actually enjoy experientially the presence of God in each of our lives. So it's been my heart in this Advent season to uh, walk us through this series of steps that the church has been celebrating for centuries on some level or another. And the first step was the step of hope. We lit a candle in that regard, the step of hope where we, we focused on, uh, connected with the Old Testament prophecies where the people of Israel were clinging to the hope for seven centuries that the Savior would come. And the concept there is that if we want to make our way from wherever we are to the experiential presence of God, it begins by releasing our faith, by believing that it's true, by daring to believe that it's true, by daring to believe that the message of the Bible is true, that there is a God, there is an eternity, there's a heaven, there's a hell, that a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes the difference between the two, and that God wants to not only get us ready for heaven, but he wants us to experience him in the here and now. And we dare to believe that. And when we release our faith into that, then he, re- he revisits us. He visits us with hope, with the confident assurance that this is true, that you can have this. So that's the first step in the journey. Just starting from wherever you are, no matter how far away from God you are, and just deciding to believe that it's true. That's faith. And then last week we saw that the second step was a step of preparation and we saw that there's an essential preparation in our hearts required to fully experience God, that it's not just about believing and sitting around waiting for it to happen, but it's about preparing ourselves. Preparing ourselves then, adequately preparing ourselves. And we saw how John the Baptist came, and he was used by God to prepare the way for the Lord, that the world was not ready to receive Jesus. And John the Baptist came and prepared the world. And his message was simple, repent, repent. Turn from our sins and turn to God. Take our eyes off of our sins, off of ourselves, off of our wounding, off of our rebellion, and turn to God. Turn our faces to God and repent. And that's the step, that's the essential step of preparation to experience God. Well, today we're going to, we're going to move on to the third step of preparation or of experiencing God. And the third step is simply called receive. Receive. It's a matter then, now that we have believed, and now that we have prepared, and we have turned our faces to God, it's putting ourselves in the position where we want to receive the presence of God, receive the experience of God. And the classic example of this step in the Christmas narrative is the Virgin Mary. And if you'll turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, I'll show you exactly what I mean. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine. We're going to put, it, put the Bible on the screen behind me for you. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We encounter the Virgin Mary. And it reads, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said, then the angel left her. You know, there's obviously so much that could be noticed for our benefit in this passage. The context is exactly the same as last week. Israel is living under severe political oppression. They're, uh, they're really living in a police state occupied by the Romans. They are not free to govern themselves, and they have literally compromised many of their own faith standards in order to stay at peace with the Roman government. And into this world, the angel Gabriel came to, ad- to announce to this obscure teenager that she was about to become miraculously pregnant. Ta-da! And actually be the human side of bringing the God-man Jesus into the world. Try to think of this from her perspective. There's no way any of this could work. She was already engaged to be married to Joseph the carpenter. And she lived in a society that was entirely intolerant of promiscuity. Who was going to believe her story that she'd never been with a man, but had somehow mysteriously become pregnant by a miracle of God? Like that one hadn't been tried before. I mean, would her parents believe her? Would any of her friends in her village believe her? Would Joseph believe her? I mean, just out of courtesy, why couldn't God have sent this angel to marry while other people were around? Who was going to believe her? Where could her life really go from there? At best, Mary had one obscure prophecy from the book of Isaiah that she could point to in her own defense, and it reads like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's me, she says. <laughs> That's me. That No, really, she said. That's me. And everybody in the village shaking their heads, wondering how many teenage girls had tried that one before. Have you noticed that being involved with God can really mess up your life? Have you noticed this? Have you noticed how being involved with God can really mess you up? I mean, remember when before you were a Christian and you pretty much did whatever you want whenever you wanted? And then somehow you came to this dynamic awareness of the presence of God and His love for you and your need for Him, and you gave into it. And now everything's been different. Everything's been different. Been pretty much wrecked ever since. One of the really cool things I've noticed about following God this way, and it's so true in this passage, is that wherever God truly leads us, He 
He'll also always go before us and make provision. Wherever God truly leads us, he'll always go before us and make provision. I mean, think about Mary. Under any of these previous circumstances, earlier in the history of Israel, she might, may well have been stoned for being pregnant. But now they were living under Roman occupation, and one of the things the Romans had done is taken away the right of capital punishment to all the religious groups, including the Jews, because Caesar wanted to control all of that. So isn't it just interesting how God had made provision for that, that while they were, they were complaining about living under the Roman occupation, it was the thing that saved Mary's life. They would have stoned her. The Sanhedrin would have had her assassinated when the rumors of her carrying the Messiah came out. God made provision for her. Imagine Joseph probably had some bad days in all of this too. Imagine Joseph for a minute. He had some bad days in all of this too. But God made provision for that by visiting him in a stunning dream and telling him it's all true. And the cool part about following God is even though it seems to wreck our lives on one level, he always makes provision for wherever he truly calls us. So Mary was not stoned by her village and was not abandoned by Joseph. Instead, she was graced by God to be able to endure every judgment and was given grace to carry this remarkable baby to full term until she deposited him in a barn in a tiny village. This is how the plan of God plays out if we follow him. Some of you are living on the brink of following God, aren't you? Some of you are just daring to put your toe over the line. Some of you are there, but you're afraid. You're anxious. You're wondering, but if I do that, what? And there are big question marks on the other side of the line. But if I really go all in with God the way you're talking, there's so much uncertainty on the other side. I get that. But I challenge you, if that's you, I challenge you to find me any single example in the Bible where somebody followed the revealed will of God where he didn't also faithfully provide for them in every bit of it. Show me where he abandoned the faithful. You know, for me, I love this story so much. But for me, the part of this whole story that serves as the key for understanding what is meant by this step of reception is in Mary's response in verse 38, where she says, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. I mean, the angel comes and uh, pretty much interrupts Mary's otherwise ordinary day with an announcement like this, that she's been chosen by God to bring his son the king of the universe, who really isn't his son in the way you think of sons, because that would mean there are two, and then there will be three when the Holy Spirit comes, but there's only one God, but three. But not three, only one. You've been chosen to bring the second person of God into the world. And how does she respond? Okay, cool. 
I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. This is the key. This is the key reception. This is what we're called to receive if you want to experience the presence of God. Do you want to experience the presence of God? Let me ask you one more time. Do you want to personally experience the dynamic presence of the living God? Yes? Okay. This key step of reception, then, is receiving his plan for your life. Look at what Mary did. Let's break this down into pieces. She said, I am. She didn't say, okay, I'll do it. She said, I am. So everything that she said after that was coming from an understanding of who she is. I am is a big statement. I am. The angel said this. She said, I am. And Mary found her identity in this statement. Mary found her very reason for being on the planet in this announcement. I am. I am. This is the key. This is when you'll know you're hearing from God. When the stirring call of God comes into your life and you go, that's who I am. It's not calling me to be something that I'm not. It's calling me to step into what I am. I am. You go, yes. There's a resounding yes. Yeah, that's who I am. She says, I am. I am the Lord's. I'm the Lord's. She understood that she belongs to God. I am the Lord's. This is part of the reception if you want to experience the presence of God. I am. I am on this earth to experience God. I belong to the Lord. I am the Lord's. I am not my own. I am the Lord's. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. I am the Lord's. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that you are not your own? You are bought at a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore, Richard. You're done. You gave away title to yourself. This is part of receiving the experience of God, the experience of the presence of God. I am the Lord's. And I think relinquishing our independence and our autonomy is one of the most challenging aspects of following Christ, isn't it? But I want to tell him the way it's going to be. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, whoever wants to follow, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, he said, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will find it. That we are on the other side of relinquishing our independence. We are on the other side of surrendering our autonomy to God. This is all part of original sin, is this insistence that we're going to do it. I can do this without you. No, you can't. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. What a thing to say. She's chosen by God to bring Jesus into the world. That seems pretty high. And what does she say? I'm the Lord's servant. I'm just a servant. I'm just a servant. I'm just a handmaiden. I'm the Lord's servant. What a blessing it is when we come to that place of relinquishing the right to ourselves and understanding that we're being offered the role of servant. Psalm 8410, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And then she says, May it be to me as you have said. This is such an essential part of the reception. 
It's receiving God on his terms. May it be to me as you have said. How many of us have come to God again and again and again, and we've laid out the terms of our relationship, and here's how it's going to be. And then we go, why don't I experience God? Why don't I experience God? This is meeting God on his terms. May it be to me as you have said. I think so many stumble in their walk with God because they insist that God meet them on their terms. So Mary receives, serves as this kind of quintessential example of humble reception. But I want you to notice that the thing that Mary received, and this is key, and this is where I'm going to get to my guarantee. Ready? I want you to notice that the thing that Mary received in all of this was not the presence of God. What she received was the plan of God for her life that by humbly surrendering it to it caused her to constantly be in a situation where she needed to experience the presence of God. Do you get that? She didn't receive the presence of God. She responded to an angel who was delivering a message from God about God's plan for her life And what she received was God's plan for her life. And in so doing, put herself in a position where she was absolutely required to experience the presence of God. And we see this play out in Scripture over and over and over again. When Abraham was called to leave the land of the Chaldeans as an idol worshiper, well, when he responded to the plan of God then he was in a situation where he needed to experience the presence of God, which he did again and again and again. And when Moses was called out of Egypt to spend some time in the desert by himself and then back to Egypt to lead thousands of Israelites out of Egypt by accepting God's specific plan for his life, he put himself in the situation then where he needed to experience God, which he did over and over and over again. And you see that with David and Deborah. And you see that with Gideon and Esther. You see that over and over and over again. God comes with a plan. When they say yes, they suddenly find themselves in a situation where if God doesn't show up, this isn't going to work. David stands in front of Goliath. And what does he say? Well, you come against me with sword and shield and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the living God whose armies you have defiled. (laughs) He said, jigs up. Because this is not my arm, these are not my stones. But by accepting the plan of God for his life, he found himself desperately needing to experience the presence of God. And we see that again and again and again. And I meet people all the time who say, Tom, I want to experience the presence of God. I want, I want this thing that you're talking about. And they go from here to there, from church to church, from conference to conference looking for it, they see it happening with people around them, and they go, but it's not happening for me. Well, if you are here and somehow connect with that, I have one question. To what degree would you say you are faithfully, humbly, and faithfully surrendered to the revealed plan of God for your life? Are you seeking to experience the presence of God because you think it would be cool? 
You'd like a toke off that joint? Or because you're in a desperate situation made possible by your obedience to the revelation of God and His plan for your life. Here's my guarantee. Are you ready? My guarantee, 100% guarantee, if you are faithfully walking through the doors that God is calling you through, then you will absolutely increase in your personal experience of of the amazing presence of God in your life. Promise. I will give you all your money back if that doesn't happen. If you can look at me and say, I am faithfully walking through the doors that God is opening for me, and you are not experiencing the presence of God, you'll be the first person I ever met who can say that. It seems that many American Christians today want to experience the presence of God just to sit around and experience the presence of God. I don't see it working that way in the Bible at all. I think God is glad to grace us with his presence when we are caught up in the flow of his will. I see people who become so occupied with experiencing the presence of God that they cut themselves off from it. Why? Because they stop doing the will of God in their life so they can sit and experience the presence of God. And then they don't need it anymore. Does that make sense? Because the guarantee is that as you continue to walk through doors that God is opening, and He will always be opening new doors, always, then you will experience His presence. I want you to receive the presence of God. But in order to do so, you have to be running the route that's marked out for you. And your route is different than mine. Think about it this way. If a wide receiver wants to receive the ball, what does he have to do? He has to run his route. If he wants to be in the right place at the right time to receive the ball, he has to faithfully run his route. There's an assigned route, and he's expected to run it. And the better that he runs his routes, the more times he will receive the ball, yes? Why? Because they're making progress. I mean, suppose there was a wide receiver who said, you know, here's the ball snapped, and he runs over to the quarterback and says, give me the ball! The coach says, why did you do that? Why didn't you run your route? He said, well, I don't care about that. I just like the feel of the ball. I just like to be the one with the ball. If If you want to experience the presence of God, then run your route. If you're not running your route or not running it anymore, I expect you to look at me and go, I'm not getting it anymore. It's not happening anymore. If you don't know what your route is, then I want to encourage you to read the book. To get with God in the book and say, what's my route? What's next, God? Show me what's next. I'm here by following the steps, but I've stalled. What's next? What's next? But let me caution you that if you pray that prayer, what's next? I need to give you a warning, and the warning is this. Praying this prayer will be hazardous to your life. Did you hear that? Praying this prayer will be hazardous to your life. If you pray, what's next? 
You think your life's wrecked now? Get ready. I mean, Mary's whole plan for her life was ruined by her response. Her dreams of becoming a normal wife and mother in a minivan, a soccer schedule, now dashed forever. She could never go back to that. All this angel business now and later and shepherds coming and going, it's all true. She could never be a normal mom. Can you imagine being Jesus' mother? I mean, he's in his room playing with his little green army men, you know. He's got them all set up in camps. and She peeks through the door and he's like this and they're all like moving on each other and they're actually shooting and Can you imagine being Jesus' mom? She goes like, what am I going to do with this kid? It's dangerous. Here is a part of the Bible that seldom gets preached. It's in Hebrews 11, and so many of us just love Hebrews 11, don't we? We love Hebrews 11. It talks about faith, you know, faith being the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, and wow, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse 6, whoever believes in him must believe that he exists. comes to him must believe that he exists. He's rewarded for those who seek him. And all these great examples of the heroes of faith, and the heroes of faith, and how great their lives were because they had faith. We hardly ever read the last few verses. And what more shall I say, verse 32? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Courage. That's the part of Hebrews 11 we like, right? And we always stop there. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. You don't hear the prosperity preachers talk about that part, do you? I'm working with eight delightful interns in our church right now. Men and women who are essentially spending a year with me in advanced discipleship. And they're being experienced or being exposed to experiences with God that clearly they have not had before. And in the past single month, three of them have gotten with me privately and said in so many words and some in these words, you have ruined my life. One of them even said that they hate me. You have shown me stuff I didn't know existed. And now I can't go back the old way. And then, in every case, all three of these who came to me with these words, two of them with tears in their eyes, looked at me and said, thank you.
The thing I'm describing is the thing, the thing that you want. <laughs> it's the thing that you crave. It's your longing for God. Are you ready to pray the Mary prayer this morning and take this step of reception? Just think about it. When was your faith most exciting? When you were running your route. Some of you are young people in here. I don't know what my route is. I love you guys. You just stay in this thing. You get with God. You get with God. You get with a couple other believers. You teenagers get together. Go out to the hiding place. Get this Bible open and just ask God, what's next? What's next? And then buckle up. Lord in heaven, we bow before you now at this time and having been blessed by worship and the blessing of these kids. And now having heard this portion of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be free to finish your work in us now. Come, Lord God. Come. It's you that we want. It's all of you that we want, and we want you to have all of us. We don't want to be playing games. We don't want to be, you know, just looking for what suits us. We want to know what it is that brings you maximum glory from our lives. And so come, Lord, into this place in these remaining moments that we have together to offer our personal response to all of this and move in us. Move in our hearts. We want to receive you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's respond to him and worship you.